0: And now, it's time for Mob Talk Radio with your host, Jeff Canarsi. to Mob Talk Radio. I am your host, Jeff Canarsi. We've got a big one today. We are going to close out the Roy DeMayo show part two, probably going to get a little more fucking gruesome. Uh, So get them barf buckets ready. Uh, And we are also going to talk about something at the top of this show after we come back for the break. But the first thing I wanted to do uh, was to tell everybody, thank you very much for joining the platform. We broke every single record I thought we could achieve. I originally Uh, Had an idea of the amount of subscribers that we did want after the first month, and we blew that away in two days. Uh, We've doubled it. So uh, all systems go as far as that goes. Uh, John Gentile won the first prize giveaway. He's getting a huge uh, mural of Carlo Gambino, 16 by 24. Uh, which should arrive sometime this week, beginning of next week. He will post photos over on Facebook uh, to prove that he actually did win and get his prize. And that is something that that we are going to do consistently on this show, probably not every week, probably every once a month. Uh, We got a big thing planned for Christmas, so you're not going to want to miss that. Now, for those that did join the show and had a problem uh, getting the show, uh, what people don't seem to understand, uh, and this is not knocking anybody that had a problem with it, Uh, But this is a private RSS feed, meaning that unless you have the RSS feed, you cannot get it. So if you try to go to iTunes, uh, Podbox, whatever these fucking things are that people are using to download the show, uh, they think that once they download the show, they could just go to iTunes, type in MobTalk, and it's going to show up. The reason why it doesn't is because this is a private RSS feed. And what I mean by private is because people are paying for it. Uh, that's why it's private. It wouldn't make sense to make it accessible uh, on iTunes to everybody. Uh, you got to pay to play. That's just the way that, that we're doing things. So I'm going to give you a little hint as to how you do this. Uh, the first thing you have to understand is when you joined my site, you got a welcome email. That welcome email contains and takes you to a page where there's a feed at the top, like a address bar at the top. You have to copy and paste that. Now keep in mind, you have to have the app downloaded prior to doing this. So download whatever app you want to use, hit that, click that welcome email, go over Click, copy, and paste the URL at the top, and then paste that into the podcast app under the search, and it should come up, and you'll be good to go. Uh, Some people are still having problems. I communicated with the webmaster, it's a great company that I'm working with based out of Canada. Uh, they have sent me dozens of videos of showing that everything is functional, everything works. A lot of this is just operator error, and I'm not blaming anybody. Uh, I think what has a tendency, especially as technology, uh, has a tendency to change. It, it should have been more basic. There should have been more basic instructions on how to do that. Uh, I thought it was very self explanatory. There's a lot of people that didn't have problems with it, but I also have to understand that everybody's technological skill set probably isn't what mine is or somebody else's. So if you are still having issues, email me mob talk radio show at gmail.com and we will work it out if I have to I will send the people who run the website the CEO of the company will do it himself uh, they'll reach out to you either by phone or by email and they'll walk you through the process uh, there have been some people that just totally wanted to give up on it but what I did for them was I sent them the show via email because that's what we do if you pay for something you get it, it it's just as simple as that I'm not out to screw nobody uh, there were some people that that sort of took umbrance and And said some things that weren't really accurate, but it's okay. I mean, every time you open up uh, a new business, there's always problems. Anytime you open up a new company, there's going to be little glitches. So the show is there. The show is functional. The show works. Uh, We are at 95% of the people who did pay and join up had no problem. There's this 0.5% that is kind of, or 5% uh, that is having an issue. uh, And we're still trying to resolve that as it sort of plays out. Uh, past that, uh, what you can expect this week. We are going to cover the DeMeo Show Part 2. Uh, then next week, we are probably going to be doing a Q&A. So if you are uh, unfamiliar with what the Q&A is, uh, basically you submit questions. I answer them. No holds barred kind of a deal. We're going to do a whole entire show of a Q&A, probably an hour and a half show. If you want to participate in that, there's two things that you can do. Number one, go over to Facebook. Uh, mob talk radio you will see excuse me you will see i will post a link q a and go and that's where people you know go on to ask their questions now there's a lot of people that, that tell me i'm not on facebook i don't want to do that so here's what you can do you can email the show uh mob talk radio show at gmail.com in the subject field put q a this way, uh, the, the person that does run my email system can see that it's Q&A and she could package it in a folder and then send it over to me uh, because that's the way that, that I'm doing things these days. So we are going to do a Q&A. Look for uh, those Q&As to probably start, I would imagine, probably Sunday. Uh, start sending them over uh, that way I have a week to compile a couple hundred questions and go from there. So beginning on Sunday, you can either go over to the Facebook page, look for the post that says Q and A and go, and then put your, your question down there. Or you can email the show at Mob talk radio show at gmail.com. Uh, there's a couple of other things that are going on. I was offered two opportunities to go on some major podcasts as a guest. I have not decided whether I'm going to do that as of yet, uh, because that wouldn't be until like February and March uh, on the West Coast. Uh, And I haven't decided if I'm going to do it yet, Uh, but we're getting a lot of attention. And once again, you know, I appreciate everybody who has joined. I know it was kind of a pain in the ass day one. There's a lot of glitches, but same show, same fucking attitude, same thing. Uh, One of the things that I said I was not going to do, and I think it's really sort of surprised a lot of you is that I didn't come out the gate. You'll fuck you. Your mother. That's just, I'm not going to do it uh, unless it's relevant. And today we have something that's relevant. Uh, And the reason why it's relevant is because I have been talking about this thing for a long, long time. I've been talking about it for a year. Uh, But before I get to that, because we're going to do that when we come back for the break. Uh, So uh, also as far as these contests go, trivia stuff always you will you will always get the answer or excuse me the questions on the show uh, a lot of people didn't follow instructions they tried to, to backdoor me uh by submitting the the answers at like fucking 10 o'clock at night but it's okay uh it, i've always said we have the smartest mob genre fans in the world and we do because everybody got it right everybody got it right there wasn't anybody I mean, there's was some spelling errors whatever the fuck but for the most part we were at 100%. Everybody got it right. So we we deal with the smartest mob genre fans. And and I've already noticed there's a lot of backlash on these other platforms against me already. But, you know, I'm four times ahead of them already. Uh, so, listen, to each his own. Everybody's got to earn how they got to earn. Got to hustle how you got to hustle. But I think that when you pay for quality over quantity, there's something to be said for that. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but I think really... Uh, yeah so guests I, I wanted to update everybody on this so i do have four or five guests that are definitely clocked in the problem is this is coronavirus bullshit going on everybody's being careful Uh, I could do a phone interview because my system allows me to do that through Bluetooth and some cords and some other stuff like that. But you really kind of miss that face to face type of thing. So I'm trying to schedule these out where I'm able to go see them uh, either at their home at a business and I can sit and talk to them. And we do have a guest coming on who is going to be our first guest. uh, That is a friend of mine. Uh, who is going to talk a little bit about Sammy DeBul Gravano and, and something tragic that happened to her family because of him. Uh, this is not a mafia type of episode. Uh, this is what I call justice. Uh, there were some things that Sammy DeBul Gravano has done that he has never paid for, things he will not talk about. And uh, this particular family uh, lost a family member who was an innocent victim of mistaken identity. Uh, and, and she has every right And has never really had a true platform to say what she thinks. Uh, So if you're a Sammy DeBull Gravano fan, that is not going to be a show for you. Uh, I'm going to let her do what she wants, say what she wants, and get it out of her system. Uh, Because I'm a firm believer in uh, when you face adversity or you face uh, tragedy, uh, when you have a platform where you can let it out, that helps. And and so that's what we're going to do. I'm not going to tell you who the guest is, but that is ironed out. That is definitely ironclad. That is going to happen. Uh, and and so it's going to give you an insight to, uh, this piece of shit that so many people put on a platform and, and treat him like he's Jesus. I don't think anybody is saying he wasn't a gangster. Nobody's ever going to say that he wasn't. Uh, but the reality is, is that people have a very fictionalized fucking mentality when it comes to these guys. They think that mafia guys are like carnival rides and they're not, uh, they're human beings. Some are sicker than others. Uh, and I think when people, to, it's, it's weird for me and I say that to you all that it's weird to me because I know a lot of these guys personally okay and when I know people I don't see them as Louis the, the captain the batmaster, whatever the fuck you want to call it the the, 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 the fucking cactus thwacker I, whatever you want to say I don't see them as their title I see them as a human being uh, somebody I'm friendly with whatever they do when I'm not around is none of my fucking business you know, are, are some of these people fucking dangerous and you shouldn't fuck with them on any level? Absolutely, 100%. And I've said this time and time again, and I'm not going to get down a rabbit trail because I want to get to the show. Uh, but people have a tendency to write these guys in prison. And they don't understand, A, who they're dealing with because to them, it's like they're writing Robert De Niro from Goodfellas. That's the way that they sort of see it. But these are the men behind the fucking legends and the names. And you're not dealing with no cupcakes. You're not dealing with nobody soft. You're dealing with... Killers in some aspects, uh, you're, you're dealing with serious people. And so I tell people all the time, don't write these guys. If you can because the minute that, that these guys say something that you try to dissect, it's going to scare the hell out of you and you're going to run. So just don't even get involved. Uh, you know, you, you have to understand these are human beings. These aren't fucking actors. These are real fucking people who have done some shit that, you know, <laughs> reputation aside, uh so that's why I'm I'm bringing this guest on because I want people to hear the other side of it. Uh and I, I think it's a fair it's going to be a fair interview. Uh and, and I just think that people need to understand uh some of the things that happened and, and how the federal government and, and that's my theme here. Uh the federal government allows them to get away with shit. They always have, they always will. Uh so all that being said, we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, uh we're gonna talk about J.R. Rubio. Uh, and, and the reason why I'm going to talk about him uh, isn't to kick him in the nuts. He's got enough problems now, piece of shit, rat, fuck. But he's gotten his ass hauled back into court because of his mouth. And I knew this was coming. I knew it was coming. Uh, and this is a result of his social media posts. It's a result of him lying. It's also a result of him going on another podcast where he said some things that are now coming back to haunt him. Uh, and, and there's some discrepancies. So what I'm going to do is when we come back, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to mention probably a handful of things to you just so you understand where we're coming from. Then I'm going to read to you what the judge has said in official court paperwork. Uh, and then we'll just leave it with you. What, what, what you guys think about it, let you form your own opinions. Uh, you already know what my fucking opinion is going to be. Uh, but it's important that we cover this because this is this is one of the first times. Now, I'm not saying anything's going to happen as a result, but this is one of the first times in about a decade I've ever seen a fucking judge uh, stand up and just say, wait a second here. What the fuck are you doing, pal? This is against everything you ever fucking agreed with. This is against your cooperation agreement. What are you doing? Uh, and and I haven't seen this really a whole lot. Uh, you know, I could argue with a couple of things that Judge Sullivan did in the case specifically against Joey Merlino. Uh, but I thought for the most part he was fair. I, I I think a conviction on a fucking gambling charge is a stupid charge. Uh, but now we're seeing that Sullivan is saying that the government cooperator in that case and in other cases was a lying sack of shit, didn't tell the truth about anything. And now this proves it. Uh, and, And it's not for me to go after anybody. It's once again in line with this idea that the federal government allows these people to lie. They know they fucking lie. But because at the end of the day, they want nothing more than to put a guy in prison for the rest of his life. They want stats. Commonwealth attorneys in southern states are the same way. Uh, When they go to get voted back in to hold their position, people want to know what their conviction rate is. Anything above 92% is fucking fantastic for them. And that's what this is about because a lot of people want to be the next Rudy Giuliani. All right. So all that being said, we're going to take a break and we come back. We are going to talk about J.R. Rubio and all the nonsense that's happening with that. And then we'll get to part two of the Roy DeMeo show. So stay tuned on Mob Talk Radio. On a given week, I'm out of town a lot, Uh, whether it's Philadelphia, it's New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, wherever the case may be. I'm always looking for a place where I can sit down and have a great dinner. Uh, Ambiance is key. Price is obviously key, but the most important thing is is the food good. And there's a place I want to tell you about today. It's called Saltwater at Margate. Uh, If you are going down to the shore, because I know a lot of people in Philadelphia go to the shore, uh, especially Margate, you're missing out on a great restaurant if you haven't been there. Uh, The name is Saltwater Margate. It's at ninety four zero one Ventnor Avenue, Margate City, New Jersey. Uh, The phone number there is 609 289 8078. You can also visit them online at saltwatermargate.com. This place is unbelievable. Not only is the food absolutely superb, the price is great too. Uh, They're renowned for their pizza and their gnocchi. Uh, They have all kinds of different things from mussels to roast pork and Italian fare. So do yourself a favor, do me a favor, go and visit Saltwater Margate. You will not be disappointed. Uh, It is a place that I think at some point, if not already, there's going to be lines out the door and around the block. So if you're down on the shore, stop in, go to Saltwater Margate, at least check them out online at saltwatermargate.com. I know at times we like to have a lot of fun on this show, but it's time to get serious about one thing. I know that the coronavirus pandemic has hurt a lot of my listeners and their businesses, restaurants have been ordered to close, gyms have been ordered to close, cigar lounges have been ordered to close, and even bars have been ordered to close. These are small businesses that don't always have the cash reserves to continue making their rent or mortgage payments. They can't even pay their vendors. My good friend Mike Kaysen of Kaysen & Kaysen is an experienced bankruptcy lawyer that is there to help you right now. Cason & Kaysen represents individuals and small businesses in complex bankruptcy proceedings in New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, and Miami. Give Mike a call at 646-397-6226, and if you mention Mob Talk Radio, he's going to give you a free consultation. Once again, it's Mike Cason of Cason & Kaysen, 646-397-6226. And we'll go back to Mob Talk Radio. Uh, I wanted to talk about J.R. Rubio for a few minutes. Uh, and in case you're wondering exactly what I am talking about, uh, J.R. Rubio uh, was the informant in the East uh, Coast Enterprise LCN bullshit case, uh, which a lot of people were convicted. Uh, Joey Merlino was a big part of that case. And I have been saying for months, uh, for over a year, really. Uh, the J.R. Rubio is a lying sack of shit. Uh, I didn't stop him from fucking threatening me online and all kinds of nonsense. But all that being said, I, I, that's not important at this point. Uh, one of the things that I said when I was covering the trial was that Rubio was lying at every fucking turn. Uh, Ed Jacobs, who is was the, the attorney for Joey in that particular case. Uh, really dismantled a lot of the things that J.R. Rubio was saying. And and, and J.R. Rubio, multiple times, under cross-examination, uh, got caught in lies. Uh, and that's what I've always had an issue with. Uh, Rubio takes issue with me for saying it because, uh, you know, I, I guess he – he he. I remember he sent me a nasty gram saying he was an American fucking hero for what he did. Uh, I particularly don't buy that. I think he's a piece of shit. Uh, and everything that has been going on in the last month just sort of kind of proves that uh, just to give you some background, J.R. Rubio was an associate of the Genovese crime family. Uh, Got caught for drug dealing and and the feds came to him and basically said, do you think you could go down to Florida and try to be friends with Joey Merlino and get him into a case? That is how this all started, because Rubio didn't want to do prison time for drugs. Now, if Rubio just does prison time for drugs, none of this happens. Not a lot of you know, a lot of people don't go to jail. Uh, But what the issue, the core issue is, is that he's a liar. He's a publicly noted fucking liar. He now he has gotten caught Uh, and that's huge. Uh, Not only did he violate his uh, plea agreement because he's been gambling, uh, he's associating with known felons. Uh, So everything that he typically agreed not to do, he has done. It was brought up even in court that he did things he wasn't supposed to do. In fact, two FBI agents in this particular case got in big fucking trouble Uh, were reprimanded. I think one was actually uh, fired uh, or suspended for their actions in dealing with Rubio. Uh, Recently, he was on another podcast where he admitted to framing people, uh, admitted to a lot of things he probably shouldn't have said. And one of the big problems is that he was supposed to, at least according to everything that I have read, uh, he was supposed to get permission to do any podcast to associate with you known criminals, all this stuff. He never did it. He's lied and said he did. Uh, but unfortunately, from what I have understood, uh, there is someone who sent a letter to Judge Sullivan, who was the overseeing judge in that matter. Uh, and I guess Sullivan got the letter along with some of Rubio's social media posts and a copy, or he saw the podcast himself and is absolutely fucking irate, uh, because this once again makes the government look real shitty. And a part of the problem with all of this is that Rubio did this all publicly, and it wasn't the prosecution, it wasn't the federal government's prosecutors that brought this to the judge's attention, which is a big fucking problem, because this once again proves that the federal prosecutors are more fucking concerned with tilting the fucking scales and putting somebody in jail than doing the right fucking thing. Doing the right thing means everything, and they can't do it. They can't do it. They didn't do it in the Phil Narducci case. They're not doing it here. Uh, It took the judge overseeing everything that was going on publicly to do something about it. Now, whether or not this has any ramifications for Rubio, uh, because there was a, a hearing over this. and I don't know the results of those hearing that hearing as of right now. But why the fuck does it take a judge who's already been done with this fucking case, to see this shit and say, nope, 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 bring his ass back to court. I want to find out why he's doing this. Bring him and his fucking scumbag attorney in here and let's figure out why he's breaking everything he agreed to do. And by the way, he didn't do a day in fucking jail. Everything was suspended. He was given the world to, to lie. And everybody knows he's lying. Uh, I could further that by saying that there were tapes of Rubio crying like a bitch. In his cell saying aliens were going to land and take him away. But those tapes weren't all, weren't admissible into court. Now, I don't understand why, because I think it proves he's fucking unstable. That's number one. But what Rubio doesn't know is I've talked to people that were cellies that were in the same fucking unit he was. And they said to me every day he cried in his cell for hours and hours and hours, scared of everybody, told everybody he was uh, told everybody. He lied, first of all, all about why he was even in there. Everybody fucking knew, because that travels around the pods. Everybody knew. Uh, and every day the FBI would come and take him out of his fucking cell. And he was so petrified of everyone else in jail, he refused to come out of his cell and ask for his meals to be delivered to him in his fucking cell, because he's a bitch. And that's true. I've heard that from multiple people who were doing time at the facility he was being held at in New York uh so let's get into a little bit of uh a couple of things here uh first of all uh when it comes to Joey Merlino okay he did plead out to gambling that's a bullshit charge especially when you consider that gambling is legitimate now uh, I could go gamble right now on, on what is it DraftKings or whatever the fuck it is uh but at every turn the JR Rubio tried to fucking nail Joey Merlino to the cross he couldn't get he couldn't get it so I want to read you a couple of things. November 22nd of 2013, there was a conversation between J.R. Rubio and Carmine Gallo, during which uh, J.R. Rubio talks about Joey, uh, and he's telling Gallo that, uh, you know, listen, I, you know, I, wanted, I wanted Joey Merlino to take a piece of this stolen jewelry I have, but Joey won't get involved in it. He won't have anything to do with that. On November 22nd of 2013, there was another conversation between Carmine Gallo and uh, J.R. Rubio and Joey Merlino, where Joey Merlino states on tape he doesn't want anything to do with a TV device that plays newly released movies. He doesn't want anything to do with any free cable because he doesn't want to go to jail and it's not worth it and he doesn't need it. November 26th, of 2013, there's a conversation between J.R. Rubio and Carmine Gallo during which J.R. Rubio concedes that. Joey Merlino is correct when he says that, you know, criminal activity, it's not worth it. It's its stupid. He doesn't want to go to jail. So as you see, this is a repeated thing where where they're trying to get Joey Merlino into something. He's like, look, leave me alone. I don't want to have nothing to do with nothing. I don't want to get involved. March 14th of 2014, there's a conversation between J.R. Rubio and several other people during which J.R. Rubio quotes Joey Merlino as saying, I will never for the rest of my life do a fucking thing that's illegal. So this is this is Joey telling them I'm out. I'm done. I'm not getting involved in the nonsense. March 14th of 2014. There's a conversation between J.R. Rubio and Danny Pagano in which J.R. Rubio says Joey Merlino is not getting involved in anything illegal. That if they're waiting for him to do something illegal, they're going to wait a long fucking time because he doesn't want anything to do with it. March 14th of 2014, there's another conversation between J.R. Rubio and Dick Herman in which he reiterates again, Joey Merlino has nothing but the, but all desire to stay away from criminal activity. And like I said, I've been there a hundred times when people have offered to do something illegal in front of him, and he says he won't do it and wants nothing to do with it. J.R. Rubio tells Pat Copolongo that Joey Merlino wants nothing to do with criminal activity February 17th 2014 there's a conversation between J.R. Rubio and Danny Marino during which J.R. Rubio corrects Danny Marino and says when Marino because Marino what happens is Marino says that he heard from other people that Anthony and Carmine and Joey are partners and J.R. Rubio responds that none of that is true Joey will not get involved in anything so are you seeing a pattern here? Are you seeing a pattern? March 14th of 2014, a conversation between J.R. Rubio and Thomas Carfano, during which Mr. Carfano states that he never knew that Brad Serkin and Joey are partners in the pain cream stuff. And what does J.R. Rubio say? They're not partners in anything. Joey Merlino will not do anything illegal. On another conversation, March 14th, 2014, a conversation between J.R. Rubio and Dick Herman after a meeting with Joey Merlino Jair Rubio states, I asked him straight out about getting a commission from the things, never a dime. He said, I haven't gotten a dime from your brother-in-law. I haven't gotten a dime for anything. I'm not involved. Pat Copolongo tells Jair Rubio he doesn't even know Joey Merlino. Jair Rubio instructs Augie Camacho not to pay money to Copolongo. So as you're seeing... Joey Merlino had nothing to do with any of this. What, what we have and what we're talking about is certifiable proof that Rubio was attempting to try to get Joey Merlino into stuff. But at the same time, he's saying that Joey won't get involved in nothing. of This there's. N- so where is your proof that he was involved in the pain cream? There is none. He didn't take a fucking dime. Why is it that all these doctors, there were hundreds of doctors that were involved in this pain cream scheme. How come none of them were fucking indicted? They're the ones that are they really if you really want to break it down, especially when it comes to compound creams and, and fucking medications and uh, pain pills, whatever the fuck the case may be. And I'm not saying this involved pain pills. They're the ones that get hammered. They're the ones that have the signature that's worth the fucking money. Not a single fucking one of them was ever indicted. Even the alleged co-conspirators in this case said they didn't know Joey. They said he had no involvement in this. It's funny to me how these are all public facts. You, Rubio's own fucking mouth. He couldn't get Joey indicted into a fucking crime, which is exactly why there was a mistrial and exactly why Joey, the only thing he, was, he pled out to was fucking gambling, taking $2,500, I think it was. But then we have Rubio on tapes, and this is very important. And one particular tape, he says, I want to get my $3,000 a month back. And what that is is that Rubio is complaining that he's not getting enough money from the feds. I need to pay bills. I need to pay bills. Go to college. I need to take money with me. I got to milk this thing. It's a warped case. I want to get a book deal with George Anastasia. So Rubio is complaining that he wants more money for his testimony. He's looking by any means fucking necessary to, to make this a monetary goal, you know, versus any fucking moral obligation to himself or to the feds. And it further proves that his motivation was personal and his motivation was monetary and nothing else. The 45,000 grew to 69,000. I need the 60,000. Rubio complaining about money again. These are all on prison tapes. The only thing I did wrong, checks, Medicare, food stamps, phone. Those are the only things I did wrong. And Bill knew now, Bill is one of the, the supervisory agents that they had watching his back, and he's claiming that Bill was in on the crimes as well, knowing that he was doing these things. And we're talking about William Menzarello. and he's basically saying that William Menzarello was covering up any little petty shit that he was doing that the FBI didn't know about. How do we not have a problem with that? He gets caught again. When I was lying, when I when I was lying, I wasn't lying. I was protecting Bill Insarello. Once again, he's saying that he's committing crimes and that special agent William Insarello is covering them up. How can we believe anything he says about anybody after that? On another tape, He is really taking this to trial. Oh, great. Hiring more lawyers. Fucking scumbag doing this. And what he's doing is he's blaming Joey Merlino for all his problems. Yet the entire fucking investigation stemmed from Rubio getting caught selling drugs to begin with. And rather than facing the time for that bullshit, he agrees on behalf or at the behest of the fucking Federal Bureau of Intimidation or forever bothering the Italians to go down and try to fucking hem up Joey Merlino. And these tapes just get worse and worse and worse and worse. The phones are being recorded, and they're going to go to the defense. And Rubio's paranoid at this point because he knows everything he's saying is going to come back to haunt him in court. Unfortunately, some of these things were not able to be, you know, admissible into court, which is a fucking shame because it shows the, the true depravity of this piece of shit. Uh Tape 10, he's going to try. He's going to trial this cocksucker. And then a female in the background says, I hope he goes to jail forever. Rubio says, so do I. And this is perhaps the most obvious of the Rubio tapes. He blames Merlino once again for all his problems. But in all reality, his complaint's completely fucking invalid. He puts himself in this situation. And even after he became an informant, it's not his fault he got caught selling drugs. It's not his fault he made a deal with the feds. It's not his fault he decides to go to Florida. This is Rubio not taking any uh, responsibility for his own fucking actions. It's everybody else's fucking fault. This is Rubio at his core. He fails to take any responsibility for his own bullshit. And it's also Rubio complaining because he felt that he should get a free pass. No prison and a ton of money. And he made over $500,000 while he was a fucking informant to begin with. And he took 10% of the total assets that were seized. So if anybody's houses got seized, anybody's cars, he got 10% of that plus his $500,000 fucking dollars. If that doesn't say a money grab, I don't know what the fuck does. Tape 11, if I plead guilty, why not bill? He was a co-conspirator on all of my crimes. So this is Rubio blaming his handler now, Agent Inzarello, for, for whatever he can. He cannot, ex- he cannot accept his own culpability in anything he blames everyone indict everyone poor me poor me fuck you they ruined my life putting me here i was on top of the world i'll lose money at the casinos he ruined his own fucking life and his own it's his own problem if he can't stop gambling like a fucking degenerate in vegas because that's where he lives las vegas tape 13 i did stuff wrong while cooperating It's a huge understatement. Not only did he beat his wife, he engaged in blackmail, lies, cover-ups, fraud. And those are the only things that we know about. Tape 14, this fucking scumbag is going to trial. I hope he gets 40 fucking years. He wants to personally punish Joey Merlino for his problems. Joey Merlino didn't get him indicted. He got himself indicted. And I could go on and on and on. How about tape 16? I refuse to testify. They'll rip up my agreement. And I wonder if this is the part of the tape where Rubio is crying like a bitch, begging for drugs in prison, making claims that aliens are going to land. I've heard them tapes. They're pretty funny. And on all of these tapes, he just blames everybody and everybody and everybody but himself, whining like a bitch. And so there's a couple of things I want to get across. Number one, Rubio for a 98 of 114 days went unsupervised by the FBI. That doesn't happen. When you're a cooperating fucking witness, a CI, whatever the fuck, a puke, a bottom dwelling piece of shit, fuck, that ought to be ass-rammed with a fucking cactus at a thousand fucking RPMs. Your job is to tape people. Your job is to take those tapes, give it to your handler, let them process the fucking material. But for 98 of 114 days, the FBI didn't have any clue what the fuck J.R. Rubio was doing. He was allowed to tape certain conversations, report when he wanted to. All oh, those are all against FBI protocol. He ends up stealing $300,000 from an offshore gambling ring. He blamed it on Augie Camacho, yet somehow managed to buy three luxury cars while he was doing that. And how this even got even deeper was Rubio robbed them of their money. And when he got scared because they were going to kill him, he ran to Joey Merlino, begging Joey Merlino to help save his life. And what did Joey say to him? You borrowed the money. You took the money. You pay them back. That's the right thing to do. Leave me the fuck out of this. At no times was Joey Merlino ever on tapes with Wayne Kreisberg, Augie Camacho, uh, Cirillo, or anybody about this medical cream nonsense. Rubio, while under FBI handlers, beat his wife. He assaulted somebody over money. He carried on a lurid affair. He lied to the FBI. He lied to the prosecution. He lied to his, uh, his handlers. He even tried to blackmail the FBI for more money. He received a minimum of $509,000 and 10% of whatever was taken. And it may be more than that. It was Patsy Perello, who, along with J.R. Rubio, set up the medical cream. Patsy had a guy down in Florida, and it wasn't Joey Merlino. In fact, Patsy told him stay away from Joey. Tape one of the one of the these are the last two things, and then we're going to move on. On one of the tapes, Rubio says he's going to milk this thing for whatever he can get. And I spoke to George Anastasia numerous times, and he wants to write my book. This is a money grab. And it's worth noting that Rubio had hundreds of meetings with the FBI. Hundreds. In three to five hour durations. And so just on those things. And I could sit here. I swear to fucking God. I could sit here for the next four and a half fucking hours with all of you. And I could go after piece of paper after piece of paper after piece of paper. Proving that everything that this guy said is a fucking lie. It's a horrible fucking witness. One of the worst I've ever seen. And I've seen some real fucking, real fucking shitty witnesses in my life. And so, where does this lead us? This, this is where this leads us. So, he, uh, Rubio went on the. I, I'm not going to tell you the show it was on. I, I think everybody at this point, you know, pretty much knows uh, what I'm talking about. Uh, but he went on a show and he played it tough guy, played that he knew everything. First of all, talking about a, a guy's deceased son is pretty, pretty abject and as low as it fucking gets. Uh, J.R. Rubio was a fucking nobody. And from what I've been able to hear from people that I know in the fucking Bronx, he was never sitting at Patsy Perello's all day at the fucking bar. That's a fucking lie and it's nonsense. Uh, the guy can't tell the truth really about anything. Uh, and so here's what happened. So Judge Sullivan, uh, who oversaw the case I guess, found out what Rubio uh, was up to specifically, uh, and he was highly fucking angry. So on June, this, and I'm going to read directly from uh, Judge Sullivan's paperwork here on June ninth, June 29th of 2018, the court sentenced defendant John Rubio to no times to time served approximately 15 months of uh, and three years of supervised release Following his his guilty plea to racketeering conspiracy, assault and aid of racketeering, drug trafficking conspiracy, operating an illegal gambling business, conspiracy to transport stolen property, uh, the Hobbs Act robbery in connection with his involvement in the Genovese crime family of La Cosa Nostra. Uh, One in the terms and conditions of Rubio's supervised release is that he is not to associate with convicted felons without the expressed permission of his probation Officer, uh, and that is docket number sixty four five. Uh, if you know someone has been convicted of a felony, you must knowingly you must not knowingly communicate or interact with that person without first getting the permission of his probation officer. Rubio never got his permission, so he's already in trouble here. The court has recently learned that Rubio participated in a podcast dedicated to organized crime subjects in which he was interviewed by other previously convicted felons. This is troubling in two aspects. First, Rubio did not advise his probation officer of his participants participation in this podcast until after the fact and even then did not disclose details of when he first spoke with or associated with said individuals including convicted felons involved in the podcast this appears that rubio may have violated the conditions of his supervised release uh that's number one you're gonna have to give me one second just to pull up the the second part of this uh because these are these are a pain in the ass to uh, sort of upload okay that's four one second I apologize for this. okay here we go uh, let's see all right All right let me go up All right at sentencing consistent with uh, Zinzi statement at the clear hearing plea hearing. Uh, plea hearing uh, Zinzi's lawyer, and and the reason why we're talking about this is because Zinzi is the one that was convicted of arson. And J.R. Rubio on this podcast said he framed the guy, and the guy didn't do it. Uh, and and rather than rather than well, let me just read a part of this. Uh, Zinzi's lawyer uh, sought to emphasize uh, that Zinzi's always only role in the conspiracy to commit arson was to suggest it. Uh, it disclosed – Okay. Uh, let me. Okay. In the defense counsel's words, Zinzi threw out, well, why don't you burn the rival's car? But he had no authority to tell anybody to do anything and wasn't giving an order to anybody. Uh, while counsel underscored that Zinzi didn't even know the individuals who carried out the arson, uh, they were going to th- follow through with it until they did. At no point did Zinzi suggest that Zinzi was not guilty of the defense or the offense uh, or that he had been framed. Uh So basically uh, what the lawyer – well, okay, let let me go further, and then I'll explain. Uh, The court sentenced Zinzi to four years, and his lawyer called it a very appropriate sentence. So at the time of Zinzi's conviction or his plea agreement to uh, doing the arson, he's basically saying, look – I didn't order anybody to do it. I merely suggested it, but whatever, I'll plead guilty to it. Uh, And he gets sentenced to four years, and his lawyer at the end said they felt that that was an appropriate sentence. The problem is Rubio was out recently saying that he framed him. So uh, this is the judge talking about having listened to the podcast interview. The court notes that Rubio's statements during the podcast are largely consistent uh, with Zinzi's statements at his plea and sentencing and the daily news appears to have misconstrued Rubio's account during the interview. Nevertheless, the court takes seriously allegations that a defendant was framed. So, in other words, while Rubio said very similar things on this podcast to the sentencing and what Zinzi said himself, the problem is Rubio said he framed him. And so now the judge is saying, but wait a second, you're saying framed. So we're going to we're going to we're going to sort of look at this. Uh and so Judge Sullivan says, according, it is hereby ordered that J.R. Rubio and his attorney, Louis Fasulo, appear in court October 16th at 10 a.m. for a status conference regarding whether Rubio violated the conditions of his supervisor lease by associating with known felons uh, without the knowledge and permission of his probation officer and two made false statements about Zinzi's role in the in the arson. If Rubio preser- proceeds, if Rubio prefers to proceed remotely by video or teleconference or via Skype for the business in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, He shall docket a letter informing the court that the preference no later than October 9th of 2020. Once the court has determined. Okay, I got to move to page three. Uh, Let me just uh, maximize this really quick. Okay. Uh Okay, more or less, they're going to call him in, in in front of the judge, and there's there's sort of a – this is a document uh, 72, t- page 204. I should have done this beforehand, but basically uh, one of the things that Judge Sullivan also said about uh, what Rubio said was that, uh, that the newspaper – there was an article that came out in the newspaper that sort of paraphrased what Rubio said. Didn't get it completely right uh, and, and sort of uh, – you know, uh, Sullivan sort of takes umbrance with that. He says, second, a newspaper account of the podcast interview indicates that J.R. Rubio admitted to framing a septuagenarian septu- mobster named Anthony Zinzi in, for a 20, 000, uh, 2011 arson. And it suggests that Zinzi was convicted on Rubio's say-so, Larry McShane, the mob informant. Uh, against Philly. Uh, basically, here's the title of the article. It was by Larry McShane. It was called Mob Informant Against Philly Mob Boss Skinny Joey Merlino Admits to Destroying Evidence, Ignoring a Deal with the Prosecutors. This was uh, published in the New York Daily News September 26, 2020. Uh, and Judge Sullivan says In reality, Zinzi pleaded guilty cons- to conspiracy to commit arson, along with additional counts uh, for extortion and gambling. Uh, moreover, uh, certain of Zinzi's statements from his plea and sentencing were worth recounting here uh, as they as they contradict the New York Daily News's suggestion that Zinzi was convicted on anybody say so, but his own words uh, and Judge Sullivan goes ahead and he he literally pulls up the court transcript uh and so basically, this is where we're at, right? So more or less, uh, you have Rubio, who went on a show without the expressed uh, permission uh, from his FBI handler. Uh, he went against his plea agreement by doing but not only gambling, but associating with known felons. And what you have here is Judge Sullivan taking him to task. Now, do I know uh, the results of, of what happened at that hearing? No, I I, I don't. And I'm going to try to find out. You better believe it. Uh, But at the end of the day, I'm glad on one part to see that a judge has taken an informant to task. I I wish we saw this more. The problem is, is will this do anything? Uh, Are are they going to hold him accountable? In, In my opinion, he should go right to fucking prison and take it in the ass. That's the that's the way this should go. And they should allow prison justice in this matter. Because how many people did he put in fucking prison and he lied? He's done nothing but fucking lie from fucking day one. And if everything that I just read you, you can't seem to grasp that notion or you can't seem to understand that there's that something fucking stinks in the fucking freezer here. Then I don't know what else I could tell you. The guy's a liar. He got people went to prison on his lies. And listen, I understand when people plead out, the judge isn't going to turn around and say, OK, well, why would you plead to something you didn't do? That's the argument he's going to have. But I think that that should open the door for some of these convictions to say, wait a second here. You got this prick on every podcast lying about everything, saying he fucking framed people. And first of all, you know, he said it in a way where he felt bad. I framed somebody. I shouldn't have done that. You're a fucking jerk off. The fact that the fact that you're even saying you fucking frame somebody makes you a fucking bottom feeding fucking cunt. I'm going to say it. he's a fucking cunt and a bitch. You don't do that. If you want to be a rat, go tell the fucking truth or whatever your version of the truth. That's one thing. But then you're gonna like fucking laugh about it. You're gonna laugh about it. If there's any justice, this asshole goes back to prison and takes it in the ass with a fucking shank or a shiv. For all my prison people, it's ridiculous. And he got caught. Uh, and and I, it, it brings a bigger issue up. And then I'm gonna shut up and we're gonna move on to the, the the part two of the Roy DeMeo show. The bigger issue in this case is that it it wasn't the prosecution. It wasn't the prosecutors who saw this shit going on and said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. They contact the fucking judge. And then the judge says, OK, we're going to have a fucking hearing. They didn't do shit. They didn't lift their fucking hands for any fucking reason. It took a judge seeing this shit to say, nope hold the fucking phone. Bring that prick in. Let's talk. It shouldn't be like that. Usually it's the prosecution that sees that shit and they take it to the fucking judge and then he makes a decision on what he's going to do. This is the complete fucking reverse. It's the fucking opposite. They did it in the Stephen Crea case. This isn't the first case this has fucking happened where some, some lies, people were caught in fucking lies and all this nonsense happens. It's a bigger problem. It's a jurisdictional problem. It's a federal government problem. And I don't know how you fix it. I'll be really honest with you. I don't know how you fix it. But one thing I can tell you, if there's any justice in this fucking case, there's two things that happen. I think anybody that was convicted, uh, not by admission, but by just uh, Rubio's words, they should they should have another day in court. And two, Rubio should go to fucking prison and find out what it's like to be a real bitch. A public Bitch. And I wouldn't put it, I would not put it past people that he associates with fucking ratting him out. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't fucking put it past him. Birds of a feather flock together. That's just the reality of how things work. So, that's what's going on in the the Rubio situation. And as I find out what is going on, I will let everybody know. But if there's any justice, I mean any, for Joey Merlino, for Patsy Perala, for any of these guys, Rubio should go to prison. He violated everything, everything. And yet these are the types of people that the government brings in to get their fucking convictions. And then they don't even have the fucking common decency or balls or fortitude or morality to stand up and say, "Okay, you know what? We don't like Rubio. He's a piece of shit, but the ends justified the means. But wait a minute. You just you just broke your plea agreement. You're going back to jail. It took a fucking judge to do this. What reality do we fucking live in? So all that being said, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the Roy DeMail crew part two. Stay tuned on Mob Talk Radio. And welcome back to Mob Talk Radio. We are talking about the Roy DeMeo crew. We are on the second part, and last we talked about. uh, We talked about a lot of stuff, Uh, and where we're going to sort of pick up is uh, right after. uh, You know, uh, while Castellano, you know, rather than open the books, they just started moving around uh, existing members and, and sort of shuffled around the crew's leaders. Uh, And it meant if Roy DeMeo wanted to get made, he was going to have to find other ways. Uh, but like like we said earlier last week, that it was going to take really Roy DeMeo sort of merging the Westies with Castellano that would, would get him, excuse me, his induction into the mafia as well as, well as uh, the murder of Castellano's son-in-law. Uh, So, basically, things begin to ramp up even more, and the crew begins to have some internal problems. Uh, And for one of the first times, they're going to go after somebody from their own crew, and that would be Danny Grillo. Uh, While Roy had used Danny Grillo to to sort of help, without Grillo, Roy doesn't get the in with the Westies, Uh, and Grillo sort of begins to get sloppy, Uh, not, not just sloppy, at least uh, from a criminal aspect, but he begins using drugs and it sort of made him very hard for Roy to deal with. Uh, it also didn't help that he was borrowing money from Roy and the payments were getting further and further behind and getting later and later. And one of the things that Roy does, he sits Grillo down and he sort of explains, you know, you're playing a game that you shouldn't play. Uh, he suggests to him that he should get off the fucking drugs and, and even up with the money he owes and just stop making drama uh, Grillo pretty much looks at Roy and just says, you know, everything's fine. You know, there's no problems, Roy, you're worrying too much. Uh, and another few months go by and Roy sits him down again and just sort of gives him the come to Jesus fucking meeting. Uh, and it, it eventually reaches to the point where Roy is getting embarrassed because the way that Roy, Roy handled his fucking business was that he'd give you a pass once or twice, you know, because uh, Gorilla was involved in the crew. But after a certain point, his reputation is on the line. And if anybody finds out that Roy's letting a guy get over on him, it's a problem because if one guy does it and tells another guy, then everybody starts doing it. And then he was going to have a big problem. And so Roy reaches the point where it's like, you know, look, even though I like you. Uh, it, it just sets a bad example. It, it sets a bad, bad president uh, presidents to the rest of the crew. Uh, and in and, and, and the eventuality of it is, is nobody's going to get over on Roy DeMeo. Uh, so Roy did what Roy did all the time. He summoned Danny to the, to the Gemini lounge. Uh, Danny would enter the lounge. He would head downstairs and would be killed and dismembered. Uh, years later, Danny's wife would explain that he must have known he was going to get killed because he left his wallet and his money at home that day. Uh, and he never went anywhere without it. Uh, Danny knew his time was up, and like a man, he drove himself to his death. Uh, it's just as simple as that. The problem with the Grillo murder, if there was one, was just the brutality of it. Uh, many of the guys, while you know, actively took a role in the murder, realized that if Roy was capable of killing somebody within the own cr- in their own crew that way. Then ultimately they could all be killed in the same exact manner, and they begin to sort of second guess their relationship with Roy. They still do what they do, but they're a little nervous, uh, and rightfully so, I gotta say. Uh, you know, uh, imagine Roy DeMeo having a shit day coming in and just ignoring you. I cannot imagine the fear that some of these guys had if Roy was just having a fucking bad day, not knowing if he was just in a pissy mood or whether they had been marked for death or marked for some sort of Leatherface type of shit. So I can't imagine that working with him, there was any comfort comfortability. Uh, Freddie did would end up joining the crew after Danny Grillo disappeared. Freddie had been driving Roy around for months and was now a member of the crew. Uh, The crew then begins to expand into the auto theft ring, and they sort of make it now an international thing. Uh, Freddie's expertise was basically in the auto field and in the auto theft field. Uh, He was not considered exactly smart. Uh, But he was the type of guy who was good with his hands, mechanically speaking. Uh, And and so how did this international theft work? And it was basically very, very simple and easy to understand. Henry, Freddie, Anthony and Joey would steal cars and they would bring them into one of a couple of shops that they had. Uh, If the car was used for parts, they chop it up and sell the parts. Uh, Ronald Eustica and Abdullah Hussain. Uh, were put in charge of moving these stolen cars to New Jersey. And the reason why is because that's where they were going to import the cars to put them in the containers to send them overseas. Uh, and the reason why this works so well is because over in Jordan and Kuwait, a lot of people were looking for exotic cars and didn't want to pay exotic prices. Uh, so what would happen is Roy would get a list of the cars that customers were looking for overseas, uh, and he would send his guys out to do the work. They would be paid $150 per car. Then the car would be pushed into the garage. The VINs would be uh, taken off or re-stamped. The locks would be changed and new new keys would be made for the cars. Uh, Henry, Joey, and Anthony would then drive the cars to Port Elizabeth in New Jersey where Ronald uh, Eustica would get the bill of lading uh, correct, basically making it flush, making it look like a legitimate business. And then they would be put in containers and sent over to Kuwait. Between 1979 and April of 1980, 351 cars were sent to uh, Muhammad Abbas uh, in Kuwait in 13 shipments. Uh, By many accounts, they were pulling close to $250,000 a month. Each crew member was pulling in close to $30,000 a month per person. Uh, But it didn't mean that the scheme came without issues. In late 1979, Chris Rosenberg would fuck up. Let's just be honest. I, I don't think we could call it anything other than fucking up. Uh, and he fucks up and badly. Uh, It not only meant that his life was going to end, but this is also the beginning of the end for the DeMeo crew. Uh, Chris Rosenberg, other than overseeing the car scheme, began to move big amounts of cocaine. Uh, he was always a drug dealer. But as his lifestyle begins to expand, you know, he wants to find other things in life. He ends up buying a lot of legitimate businesses. He buys a couple of homes and he starts buying cars. He needed to keep the flow of money coming, and that's why he really pushes into the heavy cocaine trade. Uh, He would begin by importing marijuana from Columbia and then moving big amounts of cocaine throughout New York City. In 1979, uh, he ends up finding Connect for, for even more coke, and he flies down to Florida. Uh, he flew down on the premise to set up a Coke deal with one of Roy's negligent loan shark customers by the name of Charles Padnick. Padnick, you know, was a guy who knew a lot of different people. He owed Roy a lot of money, and Chris was going to use that to sort of like say to him, all right, well, you owe Roy a lot of money, so why don't you hook me up with the Coke people, and, and maybe I can get Roy to back off a little bit. Uh, and that was sort of the deal. Uh, Padnick knew the right players in the Coke game. He was friendly with William Serrano who had Cuban cartel connections. Uh, Serrano specifically knew Papon and El Negro who were two cartel members down in Cuba. Uh, Padnick explained to Serrano that, you know, he had a bunch of Italian mob guys who were looking to make a big score. Padnick meets obviously with Chris Rosenberg down in Florida uh, who doesn't tell him his name is Chris Rosenberg. He tells him his name is Chris DeMail, which is going to be a huge fucking issue. Then what happens is Padnick goes to Serrano uh, and he just basically tells the, the what the deal is uh, and the money was going to be good. Uh, so then there would be a meeting arranged back in New York for the facilitation of the narcotics. Uh, Charles Padnick and William Serrano, uh, as well uh, as the cousin of Serrano's uh, Cuban drug dealing connection, El Negro, end up flying to New York to sort of get the deal done. Within hours of landing, they're shot to death, dismembered, and disposed of by Rosenberg and other members of the DeMeo crew. In the melee of the murder, Rosenberg ends up getting shot uh, and ends up not going to the hospital. Later, El Negro, uh, who's waiting to hear back on what's going on, doesn't even get a phone call from his cousin or his girlfriend or anybody uh, to just sort of tell him, hey, that the deal's completed and everything's good. So what El Negro does is he contacts Charles Padnick's son, uh, Jamie, in an attempt to find out what's going on. Jamie Padnick ends up uh, flying to New York shortly after the fact and ends up disappearing. Uh, and obviously he was killed and dismembered by Rosenberg uh, and other people of the crew because they're trying to cut all cut all ties at this point. Uh, the Cubans at the time didn't have solid information. Uh, all they had was the name Chris DeMeo. Uh, and, and all they knew is, look, is that, you know, he had stolen 12 kilos of coke from them and everybody that was involved is suddenly missing. missing. Uh, El Negro then orders the death of Chris DeMeo and anybody that's associated with him. He's furious. Somehow word traveled and it gets back to Nino Gaggi, who is absolutely beside himself with anger. Uh, he Or he calls Roy down and tells Roy Chris Rosenberg has got to be killed immediately. And leave his body in the fucking gutter. Who cares? Fuck him. He he created a problem. The thing is, is that Roy really, really cared about Chris and didn't want to kill him. Uh, El Negro somehow reaches out and he basically sends a message to the Gambino crime family that if they kill Chris and they leave his body in public uh, and that it gets in the newspapers, then he'll let it go along with the money that he was owed for the transaction of drugs. Uh, Nino Gaggi agrees with uh, El Negro. I don't even know if if, El, if if Roy, or excuse me, if Nino even really talked to him, but I, I think that Nino's perspective was, yeah, absolutely, that's what we're going to do. And he tells Roy exactly what's going to happen. And what Roy does, he starts stalling for a couple of weeks. He keeps stalling and stalling and stalling. Uh, and Roy also gets to be a little bit nervous because not only has he been stalling, but now there, there could be... A, a, a situation on his hands that he can't control uh and to further that el negro sends uh, armed guys or armed gang members to new york to explain how the fucking world works so now el negro is showing them that okay you don't want to play you don't want to do what i ask i'm going to send people to new york we're going to have a fucking problem uh and so at this time de starts feeling heat from all different directions and then dominic ragucci knocks on his door uh, Dominic uh, was a 19-year-old who was going door-to-door selling vacuum cleaners uh, to pay his way, way through school. Uh, Roy was informed that, at least from while he's in his house, that there's somebody that's Hispanic looking, banging at the door, claiming to be a vacuum cleaner salesman. Immediately, Roy uh, starts to think that this kid was sent to Cuba to kill him. Uh, he pulls a gun from a desk and he runs to the front door. Ragucci is terrified, takes off, gets into his gets into his car, and just takes off down the fucking freeway. Uh, Roy grabs uh, Uncle Joe, Dracula, Mayo, uh, and they end up in a car chase, firing shots out the window like you know an old cops and robber movie. Eventually, DeMeo fires enough shots to ragucci ends up crashing the car and of course roy gets out of the car and fucking puts shots in his head and ends the problem right there uh the problem was that this kid wasn't a cuban connected anything he was just simply a college student that was trying to fucking pay his tuition through college selling vacuum cleaners so now they've killed somebody that had nothing to do with nothing uh not only is that the problem but they still haven't taken care of chris rosenberg paul castellano catches word of all of this and just is. Furious. Uh, he demands that Nino go see Roy and tells him either you kill Chris Rosenberg or you're gone. We're going to kill you. Stop stalling before more people get hurt. This is a bad thing for the Gambino crime family. Uh, and ultimately, this probably should have gotten DeMe- DeMeo killed. It, it shouldn't have taken anything other than that. This should have been the thing that ended DeMeo's life, uh, especially killing an innocent victim. Uh, it really should have put his head in the stew, so to speak. Uh, but Castellano, uh, Castellano, for whatever reason, uh, holds back. Uh, and, and so the crew was basically told to keep whatever information they knew about the Cuban shit to themselves and to treat Chris Rosenberg as if everything was just perfectly OK. Uh, they ended up waiting for Chris to come into the lounge. And when he did, he went downstairs uh, and sitting downstairs was Roy DeMeo and Anthony Center, who immediately opened fire and kill him. Uh, because the Cubans wanted a visible public display of his death, uh, you know there was something that Roy was going to have to do. But Roy didn't. Roy didn't have the heart to machine gun uh, Chris Rosenberg to death. He just didn't have the heart to do it. So he orders Henry to take a machine gun and use it on Chris's car, and then they would put Chris in the car and drop it off on Cross Bay Boulevard. And that was meant to save face, to, to give the Cubans what they wanted uh, and to sort of give Nino and Paul what he wanted. And that's exactly how it went down. And it ended up satisfying the Cubans. Uh, by many accounts, uh, Roy DeMeo was never the same after the murder of Chris Rosenberg. Not long after that, Dominic Montiglio disappeared. Uh, in late 1979, sort of another issue comes up for the crew. Uh, Nino would have a beef with James Epolito and James Epolito Jr., uh, two made members in his own crew. Now, if those names are familiar, they are related to to Louis Epolito, who was partnered with Stephen Caracappa, uh, who did hits for uh, Gaspipe Casso. Both are dead now. Uh, but they were the uncle and cousin to Louie Polito, obviously, who years later would be indicted for murder, for killing people on behalf of Gas Pipe, along with Stephen Caracapa, like we just said. Uh, while what I'm about to say uh, has been reported. It really hasn't been reported accurately. Uh, Nino full well knew that the DeMeo crew was pushing massive amounts of drugs, uh, but he didn't want Paul to find out. And, and off the record, look, Paul knew that they were selling drugs. Uh, and he took profits, uh, but he didn't want to know where they came from. Uh, and and the thing is, is that we, we've talked about the narcotics deal. Uh, every boss knew that everybody was involved in it. But the whole thing was, is that don't get caught doing it because that, that brought a ton of time. Uh, but getting back to James Epolito and James Eppolito Jr., they were they were both uh, selling drugs. And, and that's what this issue was about to be about. Uh, James Eppolito and James Eppolito Eppolito Jr. had a beef with Nino over money. Uh, Nino had fucked James Eppolito Jr. out of some drug profits, at least indirectly. It was Roy who robbed him of $7,000 and he refused to give them their share or step in to help. Uh, After weeks of threats, Nino threatened to kill them and had no choice but to go to Paul Castellano for help. Uh, So here's what you have to to make it a little more clear. So James Eppolito Jr. uh, was selling drugs uh and nino fucked him out of money indirectly because roy went and robbed him of the money uh and that was the issue their issue was he robbed seven thousand dollars from us roy works for nino therefore nino's responsible and nino in turn threatens to kill him and they have no other choice but to run to paul castellano for help which is what they do uh so james Epolito senior sits down with paul castellano and he says look DeMeo and Nino are pushing a lot of drugs and they robbed my son of $7,000. And it was a shock to Castellano. I think it was a shock in terms of this guy is admitting that his son is selling drugs. He's a made guy. That's a problem. He's also telling him that Nino Gaggi and fucking Roy DeMeo are fucking selling drugs. And and for Paul, he probably knew what was going on. But the fact that somebody was going to sit there (coughs) and just admit that to him probably was a bigger issue. Uh, So I guess... Roy uh, excuse me so Paul Castellano sits down with Nino Gaggi and, and Nino denies it uh, this is not what happened we didn't do that I'm not selling drugs Roy's not selling drugs and so then Castellano ends up going back to Eppolito, uh and talking again with him and, and Epolito, for some fucking reason is still upset about the money and he tells Paul Castellano that Nino Gaggi is an informant Uh, And that Nino was impinging on his territory. So it went from he stole $7,000 to he's a rat to he's moving into my territory. And then Epolito makes a huge fucking mistake. He asked for permission from Paul Castellano to kill both Nino Gaggi and Roy DeMeo. Uh, Castellano just sort of. You know, I, I don't know what Castellano did in that situation. He probably says, okay, let me think about this or whatever. But what Paul Castellano ultimately does is he ignores his own rules and he sides against the Epilitos and he calls Nino. Uh, and Nino arrives and, and he just tells Nino, look, I'm going to side with you and Roy. And if uh, you want to kill these guys, go right ahead. Not a problem. And that's all that Nino Gaggi needed to hear. So in 1979, James Eppolito and his son... Uh, we're driving their 1978 Ford Thunderbird when they were pulled over uh, or excuse me, when they pulled over, uh, they were having car trouble. And Anthony, uh, 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 Anthony Center, Nino Gaji and Roy DeMeo pull up and say, hey, you guys want to lift? Uh, and they decided to drive to the Gemini Lounge. Uh, uh, so uh, let me rephrase this. So they're 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 driving down the street. They're having car problems. Uh, Nino Gaji Uh, Roy DeMeo and Anthony sent their pull up and say, oh, you guys need a lift. Yeah, 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 we need a lift. They get in the car, and they just kind of talk for a few minutes before they go anywhere, and you know, we should really handle this dispute. We should really just kind of get this over and done with. Let's go over to the Gemini Lounge and have a discussion about it. And stupidly, they agree to fucking do it. Um, And so uh, they get on their way to to start to drive uh, to the Gemini Lounge. Nino sat in front with James Jr. while DeMeo... Uh, and Eppolito sat in the back. Uh, during the journey, the elder Epolito knew that he was going to be whacked and he decided he had to get out of the car. He knew what was going to happen. Uh, he told his son to pull over the car uh, so he could get out and go to the shitter. Uh, they end up pulling over in Coney Island. Uh, but before they could do anything and escape, Nino and Roy shot and killed both of them. Uh, but the crime didn't completely go without a hitch because a witness... Who saw what was going on alerted an off duty policeman who soon found Nino walking away from the crime scene. After a brief shootout, yep, Nino got into a shootout with the cops. Uh, the policeman ended up shooting uh, Gaji in the neck and ends up arresting him. Uh, although charged with the Epolitos murder uh, and the attempted murder of the police officer, Gaji was only convicted of assault for some fucking reason. Uh, he would be sentenced to five to 15 years in federal prison. Uh DeMeo didn't get caught because he went in a totally different direction uh than Nino did when this wall went down, so he wasn't arrested or identified by any witnesses. So Roy gets away with it. Uh so the the Empire Boulevard operation, which was which was the international theft ring that the FBI dubbed what Roy DeMeo was doing as far as the the the, the car thefts, uh continued to expand through 1979 and 1980 until the warehouse serving as its headquarters was raided by agents from the Newark branch of the FBI in the summer of 1980. Uh, the FBI had been surveilling the warehouse and some of the, some of the guys that were unloading vehicles there, uh, you know, got pinched. Uh, the FBI showed up. They got a search warrant, obviously. Uh, Henry Barelli and Freddie DeNome were arrested in May of 1981 for their roles in that operation. Uh, but there was not enough evidence to arrest any of the other active members of that crew. Uh, DeMeo would order that Borelli and Danone plead guilty uh, to the charges in hopes that it would just stop any further investigation into his activities or any of the crew's activities. Uh, The FBI only found out about what was going on because of former fringe member Vito Arena. Now I know we haven't talked about him. I just don't want to go into all of his nonsense, but uh, Vito Arena had been uh, calling the FBI, leaving anonymous tips about DeMeo and his crew operations, probably because he was frightened of DeMeo. Let's just be honest with it. Uh, once in custody, FBI agents began working hard to get Freddie DeNome to, to flip. Uh, he was not a hardened killer like any of the other guys, but had years of information about, especially with Roy DeMeo. Uh, Freddie was scared for his life and the life of his brother. Uh, Richard's and home, and and that's ultimately why Freddie would end up turning in the end. So June of that year, uh, Vito Arena was arrested and begins to be co- cooperating with the feds. Uh, upon the release of some minor bullshit, Vito then disappears again before uh, much would come of it. Uh, Roy was highly spooked by. Uh, this case and he orders henry and freddie to plead guilty to the case just plead guilty this will all end and the idea was basically that the fbi would just be happy with a couple different convictions uh especially with that of denome and borello uh excuse me borelli uh you know for the time being it seemed to work out as they were only sentenced to five years at that time so by all accounts roy de thinks okay so you know they they pled out this is going to be over and done with um it, the problem is they had a they had a prosecutor in Walter Mack who wasn't going to wasn't going to stop uh and he ends up taking over the case from another prosecutor and this the case now sort of begins to start to come together and, and look a lot bigger than they actually thought uh slowly you know you know what was just a local car theft ring turned into racketeering and in a murder case which led from Roy to Nino and all the way up to Paul uh, they had a witness named Matty Rega who was able to make that connection and he included dominic montigulo as a co-conspirator uh dominic like i said earlier had recently vanished uh he had a falling out over nino with you know his drug habit he wasn't making enough money uh and mac really starts to see what this is all about and he begins an all-out assault on roy DeMeo, uh and and with with pressuring uh, him on every single ang- ang- uh excuse me angle Uh, Another cooperating witness was located, Joseph Bennett, who was the cousin of John Quinn, uh, who was killed along with Sherry Golden. Uh, He was willing to testify against DeMeo and the crew in that particular case. So what Mac does now at this point is he sets his sights on finding Vito Arena and Dominic Montiglio, because if he can get the two of them, it's done. Uh, and, And those were the two individuals who could really provide firsthand accounts of how this worked and and they could be the ties with Paul Castellano and that would hopefully from the FBI's perspective, put the final nail in the coffin. So in 1982, the heat is on Roy starts to get kind of paranoid and then the feds picked up a conversation on a wiretap between Angelo Ruggiero and Gene Gotti. Uh, And what they were discussing was that Paul Castellano had ordered, ordered the death of Roy DeMeo, but that no crews within the family had the balls to go after DeMeo. Uh, Gene Gotti was caught on wiretap saying that his brother, John was terrified of Roy DeMeo. So John Gotti was terrified of Roy DeMeo. Uh, he furthered that with, while my brother may have killed 10 people, Roy DeMeo was killed 38 or more for the record. John Gotti never killed 10 people. That's uh, that's nonsense. Uh, so John Gotti was offered the contract. He refuses to take it. Uh, then uh The murder contract gets handed to Sammy DeBulgravano, who doesn't want to do it, who gives it to Frankie DeCiccio, who couldn't find a single guy who was willing to fucking do it. Uh, And finally, DeMeo's own crew would take the job. It wasn't just Roy's sloppiness and brutality, but it was the fact that they had gotten Paul Castellano hooked into those crimes as well, uh, which would lead to a life, you know, obviously life without parole. And then eventually, you know, ...that those particular crimes would insert Paul Castellano into the infamous commission case. Uh, and that was bad for the family. Uh, it wasn't just... There were a lot of moving parts to the commission case in general. But one of the biggest problems was is that uh, when Paul Castellano gets involved with Roy DeMeo... ...which he probably shouldn't have done, all of the dots are connected... ...but they needed, they needed people to really come in uh, from an informant perspective and say, look... Uh, So Nino is a captain here. These are his crew members. Nino reports to Paul. Paul knew about this murder. Paul knew about this situation with the Westies. And then on the back of this, the Westies are going fucking crazy, doing all kinds of crazy shit. They're not getting permission to kill people. They start just killing everybody. And this also connects to Paul. Everything connects back to Paul. And this is a big problem. Now, if you take away the auto theft ring and you push him to the side of all of that, you may not be able to get Paul indicted for a lot of this stuff but these guys were sloppy and that's what ended up happening in May of 1982 the worst possible fucking thing for for Roy DeMeo could, that could happen would happen uh, Vito Arena gets found and he, he gets arrested and then what does he do he spills his guts to the feds and he gives them all the information they needed to solve murders uh, Roy would find out and then he would try to get word to Vito in jail to shut his fucking mouth keep quiet but the problem was the feds were listening uh, the prosecutor in this case, Walter Mack, literally ends up running into Roy DeMeo on the streets and he tells him, hey, Vito's now federal witness. Uh, you're fucked. And using a tip from Vito, detectives were able to locate the body of Joseph Scorny. Uh This was a body that was cut in half and buried in cement inside of a drum. Uh, and this gives the feds everything they fucking need at this point, because hearing about a murder is one thing. But if you got a guy that can connect the dots, tell you where to find it and who it was, why it happened and who was. Uh, Responsible for it, then you've got it. Uh, Vito not only could tie Roy to murders, but the entire crew, uh, including Nito. And by proving that Nino was involved could prove that Paul Castellano sanctioned many of the murders that were happening. The problem is and the reality is is that Paul Castellano did not sanction half of the fucking murders that the DeMeo crew committed. Uh, and, and, and I think, too, from a legal standpoint, I, I, because Paul was the boss, I understand, and that's how they connect the dots, and that's how they can charge him with it because it's a criminal enterprise, conspiracy, I understand all of that. But the thing is is that a lot of what Roy DeMeo did— was behind the back of Nino and behind the back of Paul. I think if they had known that earlier, they would have killed them, and they probably wouldn't have had the problems that they would have. Uh, and so what ends up happening is subpoenas start to go out. They go out to Joey uh, Testa, Anthony Center, uh, to Nino, and everybody associating the crew, including their wives. Uh, Roy goes into hiding, he takes off, he grows a beard. Uh, and while he's in hiding, he decides to come out and kill John and Anthony Romano. Uh, the Romanos were suspecting of setting up the robbery of one of Roy's crew members back in the day. The guy's name was Peter Lafros- uh, LaFrosca. And this was several years before. And this was just a revenge move because Roy was still pissed about it. So even in hiding, like fucking Walter White comes out and kills two guys. Uh, and so the whole time this is going on. At least for a couple of years, uh, Roy DeMeo had been planning or at least trying to plan his escape. And you can read all about that in the book written by his son, Albert DeMeo. And the name of that book is called For the Sins of My Father. Uh, According to Albert, in that book, his father had seen the writing on the wall for a long time and and had plans to escape. He had complete plans to do it, not to testify, but just to fucking take his money and run. Uh, But for Roy, he couldn't escape his own problems. Uh, His death had been ordered. Uh, And Nino, Anthony and Joey accepted the responsibility. And on January 10th of 1983, Roy would be killed. Uh, And how that went down was Roy was summoned to a meeting at the garage of Patty Testa, who was the brother of Joey Testa. Uh, And as Roy enters there, Nino begins firing bullets immediately. Uh, Roy probably, well, obviously, must have seen the attack coming because when they found his body, his hands were up like he was trying to block his face, Uh, but the bullets just tore through his arms uh, and tore into his face and upper body. Uh, Joey and Anthony shot Roy once each behind each ear, uh, and it's a highly symbolic gesture, uh, and much in line with the level of treachery that these savages were accustomed to uh roy's bullet riddled body was stuffed into the trunk of his own car partially covered by a chandelier uh the frozen body would not be found for a week uh and the car was located uh at a boat club in Sheepshead bay uh why roy went there you know i'll never know maybe he just came to terms with the fact that he knew what was going to happen there was nothing he could do about it he just gave up uh and and it once again as we've seen in in movies at times roy knew he was going to die so he leaves his money all his belongings at home and just goes and, and just deals with it. Uh, you know, considering how he handled his own victims in many of the cases uh, he was given a pretty easy death considering, you know, everything that he'd done uh, in his life uh, right after this, uh, you know, Anthony and Joey end up getting aligned with gas pipe, Caso to the Lucchese crime family, uh, you know, Actually, Anthony and Joey attempted to kill Roy's son in an effort to steal Roy's black book of loan sharking customers. Uh, it was the only way that I think that they thought they could make inroads to the Lucchese crime family is to begin to, you know, obviously work for Gaspipe Castle. But it really wouldn't last long. Uh, they Believe it or not, they ran Albert DeMeo off the fucking road. His car flipped a bunch of times. Uh, they were hell bent on killing him and taking the black book. Uh, and that would have made a good inroad to Gaspipe Castle because it's a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, like I said, none of those things would last very long because they would get eventually arrested and indicted like the rest. And the reason why is because Dominic Montiglio shows back up on the scene to collect money. The cops catch him and he decides to become a federal witness uh, along with Freddie DeNome and Vito Arena. Uh, the case, once it's all sort of put together, uh, had grown to include 25 murders along with a car ring. Uh, Nino at the time was already locked up uh on another murder and would never see freedom again. He would end up dying in prison a few years later after suffering a heart attack when apparently uh the guards saw that what was going on and refused to help him. It's worth noting his wife sued the prison system for that. Uh but it would all come tumbling down. Uh Joey uh Testa and Anthony Center would remain free for just a little bit. Uh, you know, while the the government continued to look through the case, uh, like I said earlier, they eventually would would mix with the Lucchese crime family, uh, and the rumor that the that the Gambinos were done with any remnants of the DiMeo crew, uh, you know, was nonsense. And and what I mean by is the Gambinos are going to kill everybody in that crew. They were going to kill everybody, uh, but probably the Anthony and Joey. Mixing with gas pipe, at least on the record with them, probably saved their lives. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, you know, their violent streak would continue and they would kill a bunch of people uh, on behalf of gas pipe castle before. Ultimately, they're arrested and charged with with everything. Uh, the last two members, of the, the infamous DeMeo crew uh, were still on the streets. Obviously, we're talking about Joey uh, Testa and Anthony Center. Uh, but eventually, you know, they get arrested. Uh, And in 1989, they were given life sentences uh, for murder and for the uh, car thefts. Henry Borelli uh, would be arrested, got a life sentence. Uh, He's been there almost 40 years now. Uh, You know, he's been up for parole a bunch of times, but, you know, they're not going to let him out. And a lot of that is because of the sheer. Nonsense and butchery that they participated in. Vito Arena uh, was literally, believe it or not, went to prison, got out, and ends up getting killed in a robbery attempt. Uh, he ended up saving his skin by cooperating, but he really never changes a person, and he ends up getting shot and killed in a robbery attempt. Uh, he initially escaped capture uh, from the robbery, but ultimately when he ended up in the hospital with bullet shots, that's what killed him. Uh, the other witness, Freddie DeNome, committed suicide in 1986. Uh, a lot of people have said that he was just straight fucking. Uh, I guess demolished because they the the DeMeo crew had ended up finding his brother Richie and killed him. Uh, you know, and and that's uh, you know that's got to be tough. You know, because the reason why you become an informant to begin with, at least from his particular angle. Was so that his brother wouldn't get killed, but they still killed his brother, uh, and he couldn't deal with the day to day bullshit of the witness protection program, and so he puts two in his fucking own head, uh, you know. And it's just the the whole crew. It, it's to to sum up. It's difficult to do because there's so many things that I that I could have included more in this show, but it's just it's such a voluminous sort of topic. Uh, and like I said, you can read Murder Machine, you can read uh, For the Sins of My Father by, by Albert DeMeo, and you can get more of an inside peek about how Roy was, you know, scheming, where he was hiding money, how he taught his son where to get the money, where to go, where to collect, where to do this. I just don't want to get into all of that, but it's, it's just too much. But ultimately... Uh, What leads to the DeMeo Cruz demise is a part of a couple of things. The first thing is they kill way too many fucking people and they got a little sloppy with some of the shit they do. Uh, If you really want to align it, if you take away what uh, Chris Rosenberg did, if he never kills the drug dealers, uh, which led to the murder of an innocent victim, I think uh, that probably gets Roy another 10 years on the streets. Easy, easy. Uh, I still think that you're going to have a problem with Vito Arena. You're still going to have a problem with Dominic Montiglio. But those, from a street perspective, are easier to handle in a certain kind of way. Uh, I think that they just got way too big. Uh, I think the fact that they got a boss indicted with their nonsense created a lot of problems for them. But it's it's weird how this works because if you look at each individual court case that they had and you look at the way the dominoes started to fall – You would think as smart as Roy DeMeo was, smart because he was a smart guy. Don't he might have been a butcher and everything else, but he was a smart guy. He should have seen this playing out. He should have seen it playing out. You know, you get a run, you get a ten or twenty year run, and by all accounts, Roy DeMeo was a millionaire. So, at what point do you reel it back in? You know, and he brings in guys within the fold, like uh, by by all by all accounts, Henry the Dirty Henry Borelli, What? And when I say not a bad guy, I mean in in terms of the butchery that some of these other guys took part in. He wasn't like that. Uh, He ends up taking a plea agreement or a plea deal because Roy tells him to because Roy thinks that that case is going to go away was a mistake. He should have never done it. He should have fought. He should have fought to what? Take the fucking auto theft charges. Who gives a fuck? Do your 10 years. You'll be fine. Uh, But I, I just think when you look at the totality of what they did, I think initially you know, murder for them was an extension of business. And I think that there are certain portions of the people they killed that they probably didn't need to kill. I think at some point the, the mentality of it or the, the psychopathy of this is that you get so used to just murdering and dismemberment, it becomes an easy thing to do. And when you go from making a tough business decision because somebody robbed you and your reputation's gone, and, and, and if you look at it from a street perspective, okay, I understand that. But when you just start killing fucking everybody... Uh, over small things, that's a problem. Like uh, there's a, there's a saying in the streets that uh, keep your head down and just make money. Don't worry about nothing else. You know, there comes a time in the streets when you got to do certain things. And I understand that from, from a street perspective, I really do understand it, but you also have to look at There's another saying somebody once told me, uh, and I'll use an example. Somebody owes you a hundred bucks. All right. You're going to go chop their head off. You're going to go bash them in the head with a bat over a hundred bucks. It's a hundred bucks. If your life depends on that $100 and I get the principle of a reputation and all of that shit, I really understand it. Believe me, I do in ways that people wouldn't understand or believe. But if your whole life depends on that $100 and you're willing to crack somebody on the head, kill them and go to prison for the rest of your life over a hundred dollars, then you're in the wrong game. You're in the wrong game. Now you want to talk a hundred thousand dollars. That's a little different. Because that's that is that is money. Hundred dollars is nothing. I have seen this in my life, and I'm not gonna talk about who, and I'm not talking about nobody specific. I'm really not. But I have seen people in my life, maybe I'm related to them, maybe I'm not, maybe they're friends of mine, maybe they're not. I have seen guys react to somebody owing them money that's a small amount and just saying, you know what, fuck them. I don't gotta deal with them anymore, I don't gotta see them again. Fuck it. I learned my lesson, that's what I get. Okay, I've seen that reaction. But then I've seen the reverse action of that where six guys hold a guy down and take a fucking hammer to his hands and feet and legs and shit like that. You know, uh, everything in the streets is is reputation. Everything is reputation. But if you want to be feared, there's a right and wrong way of doing it. And while Roy DeMail was ultimately feared, and he should have been, and he was, I don't think there's any question about that. I think you can also go overboard. Now, if you want to control somebody ratting, that's a different story. I understand that from a street perspective. But some of the stuff that they did, like they didn't have to kill Sherry Golden. They didn't have to kill her. They could have just as easily whacked her fucking boyfriend, been been done with it, and told her, pack your bags and fucking move. We don't ever want to see you again. But she could talk. You know, and and they didn't give themselves, and I understand it from a street viewpoint. They don't want any eyes. They don't want anybody to say, well, this is what happened. This is what happened. Why don't they just call the guy and say, hey, come see us. Don't bring your girl. We got something going on. They could have done that, but they didn't. They just allowed it to happen naturally, and I understand why they did it. But they killed an innocent person and, and a woman at that. And then when Paul Castellano finds out about that, that creates a ton of fucking problems. And so we can call it sloppy. We can call it a little psychotic. But I think what ended up happening was at first it started as, hey, this is what we got to do. This is business. We're protecting our interests. But then I think it became fucking enjoyable. And that's, to me, is like what's disgusting about it. If it becomes enjoyable cutting somebody's fucking head off, there is a big difference between putting two in the back of somebody's fucking head and putting them in a fucking hole versus cutting their fucking head off. Those are some big fucking differences. And why don't these, why didn't, this is gross, and you guys are going to call me a psychopath for fucking saying it. Why didn't they use a fucking wood chipper? Put a big tarp behind it, make a fucking thing where it could be caught? Use a fucking wood chipper. That's easier to get rid of somebody than using a fucking hacksaw on their fucking head. These are the things that keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. So let's go down the list of people they killed. In 1978, they killed Michael Mandolino and Nino Martini. Uh, uh, Mandolino uh, was a loose associate of the crew who spent a lot of time around Peter LaFrosca. When LaFrosca's home gets robbed, Mandolino was uh, suspected of tipping off the robbers who ultimately became the Romanos. Uh, he gets summoned to a local body shop where he gets gunned down and then stuffed into a car. uh you know, uh, his body ends up getting dumped, blah, blah, blah. The crew crew drove the car down the row and, uh, road and dropped it off, uh, and it appeared to be one of the murders that DeMeo did want the public to see. Uh, the two men were wrapped in tarps together, bound with cords, a classic mob execution. Uh, Patrick Presano. Uh Patrick was allegedly someone who had stolen jewelry from an associate, of Roy DeMeo. Uh, he was given an opportunity to return the jewelry, but basically told Roy to go fuck himself. Uh, and then he ended up wearing the jewelry on his body and walking around town letting everybody know he fucked Roy over uh, and Royce personally has an issue with this uh, and he ends up shooting him in the head and then he cut his throat from ear to ear. Then he gets tossed in the backseat of a car and he ends up getting dumped uh, in public. Uh, and what Roy does in this particular case, he ends up pulling the guy's pants and underwear down to his ankle, ankles to sort of make it look like it was some sort of sexual thing that was going on or a sexual related crime, which did end up throwing off the police. Uh, Kevin Gooley, uh made the mistake uh, of undervaluing or at least not fearing Chris Rosenberg. Uh, they were friends uh, who were sort of dealing cocaine a little bit together, and he had talked to Chris into loaning him ten grand so he could get another Coke deal started. Uh, what really happened with the two of them or with that transaction, nobody really knows. But basically, Chris shows up and wants his fucking money. The guy basically says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Chris shoots him dead on the spot. Uh, Gary Gardine uh, sort of made the same mistake that the previous person made uh, and sort of stiffed Chris on money. Uh, Guardine was sort of supplied with tons of marijuana. He was fronted a bunch of marijuana to sell when it came time to pay. He didn't have it. So what does Chris do? Uh, you know, he kills him. Uh, he stuffs him in the trunk of his car and then he sets it on fire. Uh, and the objective was we're sending a message to anybody that doesn't want to pay us. Then there's Michael DiCarlo, uh 5, 16, 1978 uh, and that was a contracted hit that was done at the request of the lucchese crime family uh de carlo was a a, a, Ford, a sort of a bodybuilder that he nicknamed mikey muscles uh he was a low level a lucchese associate who was accused of molesting a young boy uh and and roy believe it or not through the testimony of dominic montiglio uh really sort of thought it was hilarious uh because anthony center was contracted to do it anthony center Uh, This is gruesome, but I kind of chuckle at it because I have a a sick sense of sort of a macabre sense of humor, so don't don't hold this against me, but uh, Roy was talking to Dominic, sort of laughing uh, (laughs) that— uh, you know, they, they, they brought Mikey Muscles in and Anthony Center was using a hammer uh, that, that they shot him a bunch of times and fucking Mikey Muscles wouldn't die. So Anthony Center takes a hammer and starts cracking him at 100 miles an hour hundreds of times and the motherfucker just wouldn't die. Uh, I know that sounds crazy, but it's just to me, it's, it's comical in a sense. It's sick. <laughs> but it's like it's you got to you gotta have a sense of humor like me where you shoot a guy six times, you're like the motherfucker won't die. Use a hammer, Anthony, use a hammer. So he goes to town with him and he still won't fucking die. <laughs> oh, geez, I'm probably going to get a prescription for fucking Zoloft at this point. Uh, uh, Dracula, Uncle Dracula. <laughs> Here we go. While Anthony is cracking him, with a hammer at 100 miles an hour after being shot several times. <laughs> this is pretty gross, but it's just the way it's phrased. Uncle Uncle Dracula, uh, Joseph Guglielmo, at the same time Anthony's cracking him 100 times with a fucking hammer at 100 miles an hour, he's jamming a broomstick. <laughs> Up Mikey Muscle's ass. <laughs> These are the most inept motherfuckers I've ever met. <laughs> I mean, you shoot him six times, you start cracking him with a hammer. I mean, at what point are you standing in a room and you're like, "All right, he's shot six times, he's still fucking alive. Anthony's cracking him with a hammer all over the place. And Dracula, who's standing there probably eating a slice of fucking cheese pizza, says, Huh, I'm going to shove a broom up his ass. <laughs> I mean, what? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh at this kind of stuff, but it's just the audacity of standing there looking at a guy who shot six times. You got Anthony over top of him cracking him with a fucking hammer. He still won't fucking die. And then you just decide, oh, maybe a broomstick up his ass will kill him. I mean, it just shows how fucking inept. Oh, God, they were. All right. Uh, Joseph Skirty, 928, 1978. This murder was ordered by Roy DeMayo. Uh, and carried out by Vito Arena and Richie Denome. Nome. Uh, was believed to be vo- he was involved with stealing cars, but he sort of was resistant to doing uh, business with Roy DeMeo. So Vito basically is ordered to kill him. Vito ends up shooting Scorney. Uh, and then, <laughs> fucking here we go again. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and then uh, Fred, if, uh, Richie Denome ends up, while, while Vito shooting him, proceeds to, to, to beat him to death with a hammer. <laughs> it was inspired by the Mikey Muscles killing. Oh, my God. i'm so sorry oh my god yeah can't you just shoot a guy in the fucking head oh my god what is it with this hammer shit jesus christ uh anyway they end up killing him they (laughs) oh my god they end up stuffing him into a 55 gallon drum and he gets tossed off a fishing pier uh, that that killing would earn Vito and Richie full-time jobs with Roy DeMeo, uh, but it would also come back to haunt Roy DeMeo because obviously Arena becomes, uh, you know, an informant. Uh, all right. Uh, okay, we talked about those two murders. Uh, we talked about that murder, talked about that murder. Uh, okay. Uh, Khalid Dude and Ronald Falcaro, uh, they were involved in the in the car business as well, and and basically they were a competitor to Roy's auto theft ring. So when Doug learns that Roy's operation is going on, he threatens to call the cops and that's all it took. Uh, and he ends up getting roared to Freddie DeNome's garage under the pretense that Freddie had a couple of cars for sale. And Freddie uh, and Roy used this tactic several times when they wanted to kill somebody. Uh, and so they end up doing that. Uh, And they ended up killing Falcaro only because he was a business partner with doubt. That was pretty much it. Uh, They were shot, then dismembered, and the crew stopped to eat pizza halfway through and hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, So they stopped to eat pizza and hot dogs midway through dismembering. Uh, Uh, And that was the double murder right after the Epolito killings. Uh, So Roy technically had killed four people in 11 days uh peter warring uh was a local coke dealer suspected of cooperating uh and after two drug busts uh he got out of jail which sort of sent red flags he had some business dealings with chris and he ends up getting alert to the apartment downstairs uh where he was shot stabbed dismembered and taken to the fountain avenue dump scott cafaro uh was a local guy who beat a rape case uh nobody really knows whether or not the, the DeMeo Crow killed him because there was a contract on him or just on principle that he was a, a rapist piece of shit. Uh, his bullet-ridden, riddled body was found uh, on the streets and it obviously sent a message. Uh, you know, uh, it, it sent word on the streets for a couple things. One, they weren't going to tolerate a rapist. And two, that Roy DeMeo uh, was not going to tolerate anybody's, uh, you know, uh, bullshit. Uh, Freddie Terrar- uh excuse me, uh Uh, was set up by his nephew to take over his film production business. Tadaro was lured to the apartment behind the Gemini under the pretense of Roy having a car for sale. Once inside, he was shot in the head by Roy, then stabbed repeatedly in the heart by Chris. Chris was not only wearing a pair of briefs so he didn't get blood on his clothes, uh, but Tadaro ultimately ends up getting chopped up and disposed of at the Fountain Avenue dump. Uh, Probably the reason for this was this was probably a contract killing. Uh, Joe Capolino, three seven nineteen eighty. Uh Joe Coppolino suffered pretty much a, a pretty pretty nasty death. Uh, he was stabbed to death by Roy, then decapitated. Uh, the reason why he was killed was he was suspected to be in a cooperating uh, sort of informant about DeMeo's drug operations. Um, Capolino, though, however, they didn't they didn't uh, you know didn't didn't hide the body. They they wanted that to be seen publicly, and it was. Uh, Patrick Petty. Uh, was the witness who called the cops on Nino and Roy after the Eppolito hits. He was the witness that said he saw it. Uh, he also testified to Nino in court, which also resulted in Nino's 5-15 year sentence. Gaji could have killed uh, Patrick Penny at any time during the trial. Uh, but he feared that if he did that, it would create more problems. Uh, so he waited and told Roy he wanted him dead. Uh detectives had kind of gotten grumblings that Penny could be in some trouble and they warned him uh and that he should just get out of town. He didn't. Vito Areno ends up tracking him down and he tells Roy. Uh they ended up sort of kind of watching his moves. Uh and in 512, 1980, Roy, Vito, and Richie Denome uh that they ended up shooting him dead in the street, and that was the end of that uh whew, charles uh, montegori and daniel Scutaro uh you know that would, this was another freelance contract uh, montegori had previously been uh been stabbed and he pressed charges on his assailant whose father contacted roy and said we need this guy to go away uh montegori was warned multiple times not to cooperate with police but he ended up uh, saying fuck you i'll do what i want uh not really truly understanding that people that were going to kill him were not going to fuck around uh, he ends up getting lured to a garage of Richie Nome, uh, where he is shot to death by Roy and Henry Borello. Uh, Scutaro was simply just a friend of M- uh, Montagor who who sort of went along for the ride, uh, and they killed him too. Uh, let's see, James Bennett. Bennett, uh, 429, 1981, was a cooperating witness who was soon to testify against one of Roy's friends and associates. He would end up getting shot multiple times in the head by two masked men. Obviously, we know those men are Joey uh, and Anthony. Uh, Joe v- uh, Vigiano, 12-4-1981. Joseph was in debt to uh, one of Roy's business partners. Uh, he was also uh, sort of uh, dealing in the pornography business. Uh, and like so many other of Roy's victims, uh, Vigiano was shot to death uh, and was dismembered. Um, oof, man, this just keeps going on. Uh Let's see. All right, so 1984, Richie DeNome, uh, Fred Seaton, and John Beta, two uh, for 1984. Uh, Richie, obviously, we know is the younger brother of Freddie, uh, and he was murdered basically because he knew too much about the murders in the colon, uh, the stolen car theft ring. They were trying to to sort of stifle any anybody that could give any information. Uh, you know, he was just viewed by the DeMeo crew as a weak link and somebody who could talk. And obviously, so we know what happens. Joey Testa and Anthony Center uh end up killing him. Uh and as a result, that's what turns Freddie Denome into an informant. Uh and, and it just you can just see how it goes. Uh Vladimir Reznikov. This was a big one. 613, 1986. Obviously, Joey Testa and Anthony Center had gone to work for gas pipe Casso. Uh, and this actually <coughs> has to do with sort of the gas the gas scheme. Uh, I've talked about it a lot over the show, uh, but Reznikov w- was causing problems and making threats. Uh, and so Casso orders Joey Testa and Anthony Sender to kill Reznikov. Uh, and that's what they do. And that's what they do. Uh, Nikki Guido was another piece of work uh, by the Gemini twins by uh, Anthony Gaspipe Casso. Uh, they were the shooters. Uh, who killed Anthony Guido? Who was an innocent victim? He looked like somebody they were looking for. Had the same name as somebody they were looking for. It turns out it was a fucking mistake. 1987, the last murder: Carmine Variale and Sanx, uh excuse me, Frank Santora. Uh, the Gemini twins. Really, this was the last. This the last murder they committed on. Uh, on sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the listen. The double murder of uh, Variale and Santora was really the last known killing that any crew member was ever involved in, and it was a job. Uh, given to Anthony and Joey uh, by Anthony Gas Pipe Casso. Um, you know, and not long after that, uh, they would be arrested. Uh, excuse me, not long after that murder, they would be arrested. And obviously, they've been in prison the rest of their lives. I could go through another 80, 80 or so murders. I don't want to do it. It's just too much. And listen, I apologize for laughing. Just sometimes shit tickles me and it's just funny and it just from a macabre just comedic standpoint, it just cracks me up. Not that God forbid somebody died. It's shitty. Uh, you know, but it is what it is. So that is really the end of it. Uh they are going to be known as probably the most ferocious and feared crew ever in the mob's existence. Uh have they had they just toned it back a little bit and been a little smarter and not so hell bent on murder and and uh butchering and all of that they they might have survived a little bit longer uh you know and it's not to say that they were totally sloppy in what they did but i've always been of the mind that if you don't have a body you don't have a crime and if they had followed that tactic uh it might have been you know better suited for them uh you know it just i think history will look back on them as more uh, serial killers than mobsters i hate to say that but that's just the reality of it uh I think once you reach the point where you're cutting everybody up, uh, you know, there's a sickness to all of that. But I I think from a business standpoint, I mean, sometimes too much is too much. Uh, And and that's why Gotti and them wouldn't go after him. They were terrified of these guys. Listen, if every single one of them has no problem cutting your fucking heart out and eating it or some crazy shit like that. Uh, You know, or you have a a septuagenarian standing in the corner eating a slice of pie while they're cracking somebody with a hammer and just decides, well, you know, let's stick the broomstick up his ass. That'll help. (laughs) uh, Joe Guglielmo disappeared. Nobody knows where he went. A lot of people have talked about him. Maybe he's dead. I, I believe Dominic Monteglio said at one point that he drank himself to death, but he was the only crew member to get out. Uh, according to Albert DeMeo in his book for the sins of my father, his uncle Joe got on a plane and just took off, said, fuck this. I'm done. Uh, I don't think the DeMeo crew killed him. Uh, I believe what Albert said that he got on a plane and safely got out of New York and he probably died of old age, maybe drinking, who knows, but he is the only member of the DeMeo crew that made it out without going to prison. Uh, A lot of people have talked about Anthony Center and Joey Testa getting out of prison. They've had a bunch of a parole hearings. I know that Anthony stopped going to them. Uh, like I said, probably on the first uh, incarnation uh, of the DeMeo crew. Uh, but they're never going to get out. They have too many bodies. I mean, even if they could get a parole hearing, I mean, how, 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 how are you going to explain 80 murders? Uh, explaining in one is one thing. 80, 90, 100, 200. What, uh, how do you explain that? Uh, you know, if there's anybody that, that might have the opportunity of getting out, uh, maybe Henry Borelli. He's, I mean, the Dirty Henry has done all of his time already for the most part. But they're not going to let him out either just because of the body count. You know, we're not talking four murders, five murders. You know, we're not even talking Sammy the Bull's alleged 19 murders. We're talking like 200 plus. And they just didn't shoot people, as we've discussed on this show. Uh, <laughs> they had an interesting way of doing stuff. Uh, so none of them guys are ever going to get out. They're never going to get out, uh, you know, and, and that's and maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they shouldn't. And and so I know what the thought process is going to be for the listeners. So, wow, you're not sticking up for them. You're not saying they didn't do it. It's kind of hard not to say they didn't do it <laughs> in this particular case. You know, if, if you if this happened once or whatever, OK, we're talking like 200 plus. It's kind of hard for me to argue. <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to, you know, argue that logic. Uh, but I'm sure that there are certain things and it just is this is just being honest that I'm sure there's certain things they were convicted of they didn't do, you know, but that's just the reality of it all. Uh, I don't think Dominic Montiglio was the most honest guy in the fucking world. And I've said that from day one. I don't think he told the truth about a whole lot. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, you know, Vito Arena was was very honest either. I don't think any informant is. But when you have like a dozen informants that are pointing where the bodies are and and they can connect the dots, if you connect the dots for the federal government, that's all they need. That's all they need. So that is the history of the Roy DeMeo crew. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, Uh, you know, despite my laughter at some stuff. But we will be back all new show next week. We are going to do a massive Uh, (coughs) Q&A. Excuse me. Uh, and you can head over to Facebook and, and look for the post. It'll say Q&A and go. Or you can email us your questions at mob talk radio Show at gmail.com. That will be next week's show. Uh, and then the following week, we will have a guest on to talk about Sammy DeBull, the bravado. Uh So I wanted to thank everybody for listening in. I hope you got some entertainment out of me laughing. I'm going to go to hell for that one. Anyway, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week uh, right here. Uh, same uh, same time, same channel. I was going to say same bat time, same bat channel, but I'll tell you how much of a fucking dork I am. Anyway, all that being said, everybody have a great, great week, and we will be back next week on an all-new episode of Mob Talk Radio. <laughs>